Welcome to Basecamp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. All right, can y'all hear me? Oh, this is good. This is perfect, so I can yell and, and it won't like blow anything out. Okay, um, let's just jump in. I titled this thing Messy Christianity. I think you guys are gonna see. Uh, the one thing that I've learned, I think, after a uh, couple years of praying online is that uh, it's messy. <laughs> this whole Christian thing, it's messy. And if it's not messy, you, we might be doing something wrong, okay? So let's go ahead and jump in. Let's see if this works. Boom, that happened. Okay, so uh, this is gonna be selected portions just because for, for brevity's sake from Acts chapter 15 and the start of 16. So certain people came from Judea and Antioch and were teaching, unless you were circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved, period. That's pretty good, and it's reiterated in uh, verse five or later on. Jumping back to verse two. This discussion about circumcision brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them in Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question, and the apostles and elders met to consider the question. Peter got up and spoke and said, God made a choice that the Gentiles might hear the gospel and believe. God showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he gave us. He did not discriminate between them and us. He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by putting on their necks, or the necks of the Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved just as they are. Barnabas and Paul got up and they told about how the Gentiles were converted and the signs and wonders that God did among them. Okay? Then verse 13, when they finish, James gets up and speaks. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to you how God intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Then uh, in uh, 19 through 20, it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult on the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. So, verses 22 through 24, they sent Paul and Barnabas with Judas called Barsabbas and Silas to deliver this letter to the Gentile believers. And then, closing it out there in, for this part, in 25 through 29, they go there and they report to the Gentile believers there in Antioch what the decision was, which just reiterates, stay away from food sacrificed to idols, stay away from sexual morality. Okay, that's, that's conflict number one. We're gonna put that over here in this bucket, okay? Conflict number two, verse, starting in verse 36, sometime Later, Paul said to Barnabas, sorry. Sorry, let me go right there. Okay, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work there. 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay? Next one. Another conflict. Right? This is the start of chapter 16. Man, this place is full of conflict. Right? All right. So Paul comes to Derby and then to Lystra, where he met a, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra or Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Consi- consider this for a moment. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. I gotta tell you, that's funny to me, right? And here's why it's funny to me. Paul's out there shaking his fist. He's like arguing. He's like, circumcision, it doesn't lead to salvation. It's not a necessity for salvation. He's like, I'm going to take this here in Antioch. I'm going to take the show on the road. He goes up to Jerusalem. Still not uh, necessary for salvation. Circumcision, unnecessary for salvation. Timothy, I got to cut some skin off your penis. (laughs) What? How do you get from there to there? How do you get from... It's not necessary, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right? Messy Christianity. What I'm saying to you is, I wonder if it tells us something a little about conflict in the body of Christ. What it's supposed to look like. What it means. Right? Because if you haven't hung around with people that worship different than you, you need to go do that. Right? This, our comfort is not God's concern. In fact, it's contrary in some ways. Does that, everybody understand that? The crazy part about this whole Christian thing is everybody remembers, everybody learned this maybe in Sunday school or something when you're a little kid. What is the uh, recipe for joy? The acronym? Jesus first. O, other second. Y, yourself third. I'm telling you, anybody that lies to you and tells you Christianity is an easy religion doesn't know about Christianity because it's the only religion that you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons, and it still ends up being sin. Your motives are on trial. That you, we're required here in Christianity to do the right thing, absolutely. The right way, absolutely. But for the right reasons. Everybody understand that? And so I think that's our key challenge. And every single conflict in the body, if you have two Christians and they're in conflict, right, whether it's husband and wife, parents and children, or whether it's people in the church or other churches, this either benefits the body of Christ, Jesus, right? Or it benefits Satan in his effort to wound the body of Christ. Either builds the body of Christ or it wounds the body of Christ. That's it. There's no other thing it does. Conflict builds the body of Christ or it's gonna wound the body of Christ, and it has to be done right in three different ways. It has, you have to be, better be arguing over the right things. You better be doing it the right way and for the right reason. That's it. We, we could just stop right here, walk away, and, and just read the Bible, and you'd probably be fine. But, because I've got a couple minutes left, we're gonna keep going. <laughs> okay, so there's three things. Uh, Satan 
is our adversary. We have an adversary who wants to come in and he wants to infiltrate, he wants to harm. But how does he do it? I identified three ways there could be more. Number one, he infiltrates and undermines. Two, he stirs up our pride. Let me say that a different way. We're, we're, putting, we're giving Satan too much credit. We help Satan to, to, to wound the body of Christ through, by helping him infiltrate and undermine the church. We help Satan when he activates our pride. We help Satan wound the body of Christ when he leverages our preferences. I think that's a better way of saying it, right? Okay, so let's start off with that. How does he do it? Matthew 7, 15, right? Jesus told us there's no surprise. We, we can't say we didn't know what's coming. Said that there will be false prophets. There will be false teachers. They will be wolves, and they will dress in sheep's clothes, and they're gonna come into your church, and what are they gonna attack? What is the key thing? They're gonna say the same thing Satan said from the beginning, his only shtick, right? What is that? Did God really? Dot, dot, dot. Fill in the rest of it. You want to talk about salvation? Did he really? You want to talk about obedience? Did he really? That's what, he, that's what they're going to talk about. They're always going to go after what did God really say that? Did he really mean it? That's it. It's God's word. I, I sat down, and I'm telling you, it's the most broken hearted I've been in years when I talked to a, a, a fellow Marine. He wasn't a Christian. He came to Christ. I'm like, I'm so amazed. And he's not only in Christ. He's, he went to, to seminary and got his master's. Now he's working on his doctorate. And he went to serve on... Uh, um, Skid Row, and we had a conversation. He's like, I'm not really sure I believe a lot of the Bible or that, that it's, it's trustworthy and inerrant. I'm like, then where do you, how do you get to here? He's like, you're always trying to proof text stuff from the Bible to back up what you believe. Yes, yes, what other are you gonna back it up? What are you gonna use? Shakespeare? He's not part of the religion. It's not anything. It ha- we don't know anything about Christ that is canonical, something that you can trust, except in the Bible. So that's what he's gonna go after. What did God say? The second thing, and this is the worst part, we're gonna pitch in and we're gonna help. He's got some allies here, and that's us and other people in the church, right? In the body of Christ. It tells us in 2 Timothy 4, 3, that the time is coming, it already came way back then, and still today it just gets worse, when people won't tolerate sound doctrine. They'll bring in people to tell them what their itching ears wanna hear. You get in a fight with your wife, Go find someone that disagrees with you to give you advice. Don't go for the person that's gonna tell you you're right. And I would say the same thing to your wives. Don't go find a bunch of other women who are already divorced and talking you into it. I'm telling you, that happens. That's in the church today. I do it, you do it, people do it. Do the opposite. Find someone that's gonna tell you the hard things and that's gonna stick to the Bible. Second thing that they do is that we do to work with Satan is that we stirs up pride. It says, Proverbs 13, 10. Where there is strife, there is pride. Let's reverse it. Where there's pride, there is strife. If you're wondering, I wonder if I have pride. I, you do. You do. I do. This part right here, you're sitting in on a conversation between me and Christ, right? Except for you're just hearing the, the sidebar of it. And what is that? If I'm upset because my name didn't get mentioned, pride. If I'm upset because uh, I wasn't treated the way I re- deserved to be treated, that's pride. If Christ owns the result of it, then I have no connection to it. If I'm his ambassador, insulting me is insulting him. And I'm just telling you, I'm not there yet. I get upset when people, I, I fill out hurt feelings reports when people insult me. I still, I still get upset. You know, I still want to be re- well regarded. I still want respect. And that's, 
That's something that has to slowly die off. But Satan activates that. James 4, 1 through 2, it says, uh, what causes quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, your desire to be respected, your desire for condemna- uh, com- commendation, recognition, right? You, you, ha- you want what you don't have, you don't get it, and that creates a problem. Now, here's what's something that, that Michael Coffey said one time, and I'm telling you, there's a few things that he said that will always stick with me. He goes, yeah, God doesn't want to wound your pride. He wants to kill it. I'm like, ooh, that's gonna be a problem because I got a lot of it, right? But it is, I realize in the past few years, that is the chief obstacle between me and Christ because pride means I don't need him. The opposite of that means I'm desperate. And I've never been in a better place than when I was aware of my desperation. I'm always desperate. Just being aware of it's a better place. He leverages our preferences. Colossians 2.8, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. Titus 3.9, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Then Colossians 2.16 and 17, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival. These are just a shadow of things that were to come. Gentlemen, I'll sit there and argue with a person for an hour about a political position, but I won't spend five minutes telling them about Christ. I'll sit there and I'll, you want to get me activated at work? Talk about transgenderism or talk about all these other things, but, but I won't bring up Christ. Isn't that, a, isn't that a tragedy? I sat there. This lady that my wife met when she was doing a uh, loan closing came over to our house and she's telling us about these different loan kind of configurations and we get into it and we're, we're talking about like maybe witnessing to her because she's definitely not a Christian. She's an atheist. We spent the whole time talking about politics and at the end of it, I went back and it was like the coach comes up and shoots your face mask and he's like, really? You had a whole hour there. You couldn't spend five minutes on me? And I gotta tell you, that was, that was tragic. And we do that in the body of Christ. We, find, we will argue over the silliest things and ignore Jesus Christ in the body. This is the problem. So conflict's not necessarily bad by itself, right? And it's not necessarily good. If it's done, right reason, or right, uh, right argument, right way, and right reasons. The problem that we have is conflict is always that's, I'm not, that's not even said grammatically correct, but it is. It is always. If you have two people, then you have conflict. Why? Sin is present. If sin's present, then conflict's present. That's the whole problem with the church. If we could get rid of all these sinners, this place would be perfect, right? Well, that'd be like, okay, disease is the problem that's going on in the hospital. If we get rid of all the sick people, the hospital would be an amazing place. It'd be stupid. You'd, you would no longer have a reason to be a hospital, if you get rid of all the sinners, there'd be no reason to have a church. It is pointless. So we do need to consider, 2 Timothy 4.2, that we're told to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage using God's word. So there is a necessity, there is a reason for conflict, but we have to be able to understand where does this conflict fit? And so Bob Femiani, I don't think he knew what he was saying when he said it, that he told me, but it stuck with me, Right? And he goes, BCC is awesome because if you look in the charter of our church, it breaks out the categories of really two things. It says we have so many faith backgrounds. How do you bring all those faith backgrounds together? And he goes, you break it out into two things. You have unity and you have liberty. You have those things that are required, that we have to agree on, that are the essentials that define what it means to be a Christian. And then you have those things that there's a lot of grace for. So what's the first prism 
that I think that we have to look through this is, is this, whatever we're arguing about, a question of salvation? Is this, how do I get salvation? How do I keep salvation? Can I lose salvation? That's it. That's the big one, right? That's a good question to have. And you probably need to have an agreed uh, end state on that one. Okay, the second one, obedience. These are the symptoms of salvation. Is this, is my life reflective of obedience to Christ? It doesn't save me, but does it reflect my salvation? These are those essentials, okay? What it, the, the definition of what it means to be a Christ follower. You could hardly say I'm a Christ follower if you're not following Christ. Can I, yeah, I mean, can I see? Yeah, okay, good. All right, then we move over here into liberty, right? Which is a question of method. Is this a question of how you do the things? Is this a question of preference, right? And with that, there's room for liberty. There's room for grace. These don't specifically deal with salvation. And in, very often, they're not specifically enumerated in the Bible. So there's some room here. So let's talk a little bit about it. We'll go through the prism of salvation. This is the question. <laughs> if you don't talk about any other question here in the church, right? You come in, it'd be like working in ER, and the guy's got literally arterial bleeding, a sucking chest wound. He is minutes from dying, and you're like, okay, let's talk about your thought life. No, he's dying. Start with salvation. Start with the thing that's going to bring him to life, right? And what is the gospel? Start with the gospel. Sin, separation, Jesus' blood, resurrection, salvation, eternal life, Halas, done, that's it, moving on, right? Start there. If you get that, you got time to talk about other stuff. Till you've talked about that, you really don't have any reason to be here until you've talked about that, okay? But we're not done there, so you have some scriptures, Acts 15, 11, for it is great. We believe that it's by grace that we're saved. Then we have uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10. For it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. Then we go down here to Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I gotta tell you, that's it. But it's not all that easy. That's salvation. That, the, you walked in the door, welcome aboard, right? But there should also be something that goes along with that. There should be some life-changing thing. And I'll tell you, there's this guy named Major Bandy this weekend. He said something that I'd never heard before and it stuck with me. He's like, there's a difference between commitment and surrender. Commitment, if I commit to something, I own, I still have some of the franchise, some of the, the, the sovereign choice of my will. I get to choose what I, how much I want to commit. Can I back out? When you surrender, please consider, let's just transport ourselves there to, the U, to Ukraine if you surrender to the Ru Russians, or you are Russian, you surrender to the Ukrainians, you have no will now. If they execute you, that's their business. Well, we, we may talk about it in a war crimes tribunal later on, but at the end of the day, you've lost all will, and you've surrendered it to them. Gentlemen, that's the gospel. Have you surrendered? Have I surrendered? What does a surrendered life look like? Is this just one of those cases where we're... Uh, you know, we're doing fire insurance and we think that we're, we're faking the funk. Okay, that's fine. There's only one problem. I go back to motive, the one that can see the reason that you did it, okay? So uh, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked for whatsoever a man sows, so shall he also reap. We're not, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna fool him, right? And here's some other key questions. Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? 
right? It's inconsistent. It's an inconsistency. Then we look at Matthew 3, uh, 8. Bear fruit in keeping with the repentance that you say you have or that you've done. And John 14, 15 through 16. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. We can flip that. And the inverse, if it's true, the inverse has to be equally true. If you don't keep my commands, then you don't love me. Okay? So this is symptoms of a saved life. Okay? Now, we'll talk about, uh, some more about that here in a second, but some key evaluative questions. I'll be honest with you. My kids, they're talk- talking to the, back in the day, they were talking to these Muslim sheikhs at the mosque all the time who were telling them, asking these questions and kind of taking apart Christianity. And when you get in discussions about the law, well, how do you know that you can and can't do different things? I had to make it something that's usable, definable, and, and, and that I can find again. So I said, if Jesus said it, that's pretty, <laughs> that's straightforward, then either you proscribe something, said not to do it, or prescribe something, said that you have to do it. That's easy. We got the Ten Commandments minus one, and Jesus took two of them a little deeper than I was comfortable with, right? Then we got the Beatitudes. We've got other places in the New Testament where the apostles said this is something definitive that they said this is not my opinion. This is, what, this is how you're to live. If it specifically says it, then specifically do it. If it says don't do it, then don't do it. Okay? That's, those, are, those are some comfortable places to be. But I, I think this is important to understand. One, these things don't save you. This has to be said in every setting where we have Christians. They're symptoms of salvation. They should follow there. Stumbling in sin is different than living in it. Everybody here, if, if we have any new believers or non-believers yet, just understand, if you haven't sinned yet, you will before the next 20 minutes is up, okay? <laughs> it's true, man. We're going to, the question is, do we agree with them that it is sin? This is sin, which means I need to change it, and I'm going to work, and he's daily going to kill off the old guy. And daily, there's going to be a little bit of growth in the new man. But these are things that should go together. Then we get into some liberty over here, okay? Which, uh, specifically, when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, I have the right to do anything, said in King James speak, Everything is lawful for me, not everything edifies me. That's our measure over here. You know, we can do anything if it's not specifically proscribed or prescribed, right? But the question is, is it law, is this, is this edifying? Will this benefit me? Really, J-O-Y. Does this benefit Jesus? Does this strengthen the body? Does this help someone else? Then we'll talk about me, Okay. Then we look at some of the, the deeper ones. Is be careful that the exercise of your rights does not come, become a stumbling block to the weak. And then a little bit later in this, when you sin against them by, by driving home your rights, things that your freedom, okay? When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Jeanette and I don't argue hardly ever. You know when we've had the biggest, nastiest fights in the last year? When I was right. <laughs> okay, now I say that because it's kind of funny, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm always right. She's like, you always think you're right. I'm like, I wouldn't be arguing if I thought I was wrong, right? <laughs> okay, that wasn't the problem. The problem was when I thought she had wounded my rights. Oh my God. I just got to tell you, gentlemen, there is no, nothing more satanic in the body of Christ than someone who thinks their rights 
have been wounded. Satan's like, man, I can work with that all day long. And I'm telling you, I felt, I felt G-U-T good. I was arguing. I was like, man, I am not just right. You've offended my rights. You need to repent. I, and it, and it, was, it was devastating. Devastating. Where if I, it was, instead of joy, it was yog. I don't even know how you'd say it, but it was, I had it flipped around there. And it's devastating. It is the best way to kill the body of Christ. Okay, so we're gonna have to go a little quicker through this because we got a little bit of a late start, but the key question here is method. Was it specifically addressed in the Bible? Then do that. Now, there's some other stuff where there's some, some space. It says do communion. It says do the Seder dinner. We don't often do the Seder dinner, right? But we have, we follow it and there's, there's grace and liberty in there, right? Marriage, it says to do it. Doesn't say specifically how to do it. You can copy the one in the, the Old Testament if you want, but the point is you need to make a lifelong commitment to your wife, okay? If it's in the Bible, try to do it as close to, to it as possible. If it's not, there's liberty. There is liberty, okay? Using that measure, is this beneficial to me? Is this, will this benefit Jesus first, others second, yourself third? And if it comes to preference, I'm telling you, uh, we've got like Presbyterians on, our, on the prayer call, man, and it is very, it is, it is deep, man. Deep worship and deep prayer and powerful and punch in the face prayer. Then we've got Pentecostals on there, man, where it's like, boom, and blow your hair back and stuff, and you're like, oh my God, what just happened, right? But I'll tell you, it's, it's like having hands, feet, eyes, ears, nose, throat, nose hair, ear hair, toenails, right? Every part played an essential role in understanding that. So is what you're arguing of eternal consequence or is it a preference? And make sure that you understand where you're at on there. So, looking at, at uh, what they're arguing about circumcision, yeah, it's a salvation question, but it's also a preference question. It doesn't save you, but it will stumble that guy. So, why does he, why does he argue against it for salvation, but, but circumcise Timothy? To deal with others. Jesus first, answer the, answer the salvation question, others second, right? And yourself third, because I don't want to be circumcised as an adult. <laughs> okay, then the next question we're talking about sexual immorality, you know, that's an obedience question, all right? We know where that fits in there. It's, it, if we were sexually immoral, it would be inconsistent with a life of Christ, of following Christ. Okay, that's fairly simple. It won't save us by doing or not doing it, but it's, it, it is something that you might want to pay close attention to if you're, do, if, you're, if you're trapped in it. Okay, apologize, we're gonna go through right here. Um, analyzing conflict, like we just talked about it. We talked about understanding where you're at in there, what category it's in, is this expressly covered in the Bible, and is this, if it regards preference, is this wise or edifying? But now we actually have to go do it. If you've come to the point where you're like, this is something that I gotta go take up with that guy or gal, then number one, watch out for people that steer up divisions and quarrels. Some people are gifted in conflict, right? And they're just like, they, they, they love to, to argue. Okay, I had students in um, the Marine Corps, they would come in there and if, if I had them write down their position before they came in and I stated their position, they would go a different direction with it just to keep it going. So watch out for that and make sure you're not that guy. Don't rush into conflict. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Do not be easily offended. I'm talking to me, <laughs> okay? Don't be easily offended. Then we go to the next one. If you are wounded, and this will happen, 
If there is a problem, you see a legitimate cause for concern, Leviticus 19, 17 through 18, the heart, one of the hardest verses in the whole Bible, in my opinion, rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you don't share in his guilt. Love your neighbor as yourself? Are you kidding me? So rebuking him, telling him that I'm wounded, is loving him? Yeah, because he can't get freedom otherwise. Same thing with your wife. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. Don't sit on it. Don't let it fester. Don't give Satan a foothold. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but, deceit, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'm telling you, it's the toughest thing you're ever gonna have to do. Or one of them. Okay, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. But if you have decided that it's necessary, it's time to go do it, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love, and then there's a way to do it. Do we go talk to a myriad of people and, and get advice on how to do it first? What's that called? Begins with a G, ends with a P, and sounds like, like awesome in the middle. I'm just telling you, I've done it. You've done it, right? My point is, go to that person. Write down your stuff. R read off a speech if you need to, but go directly to them by themselves. That's it. Number two, if that doesn't work, go get another brother. If that doesn't work, go get the elders. There is a procedure for this. So I apologize, we, we went longer than, than we'd wanted to, but I wanna leave you with these questions, and these are questions that I have, to be honest with you. What conflict between individuals or whole churches have you seen using two categories, four prisms, and what kind of conflicts are these? How were they handled? What was the result? What did you learn? Churches have collapsed because of this. So the question is, did they collapse over the right reason? Right? Ministries have collapsed. Marriages have collapsed. Look at that. What methods or, pr or preferences of other churches stumble you? Right? You ever see anybody get and wave their hands in church? Right? That used to stumble me. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. All right? Okay. Um, was Paul right in ditching John Mark and arguing with Barnabas? That should start a couple fights around the table. Okay. So let me pray for us real quick and uh, jump in. Lord, I just say thank you so much. Lord, we just want, we want to know. I, Lord, I want to know. I am so sorry for the conflict I've caused in your body. And Lord, I know that, uh, that conflict's necessary, but I pray that, Lord, you let us focus on the other. Let us focus on Jesus first, others second, ourselves third. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do conflict for the right, for the right arguments, the right topics, the right methods, and Lord, for the right motives. And then, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like people that look in a mirror and turn away and forget what we look like, that we'd not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Bless our time and our conversation around the table. In Jesus' name, amen.